and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Good morning, Bent Tree Church. My name is Hal Hudson. I am the student pastor here at Bent Tree. And one thing, we did this a couple weeks ago, uh, but I'm going to do it again this week. One thing that we do on a regular basis uh, at our student D3 groups is we train our students how to use God's word, okay? Uh, The Apostle Paul, and we'll look at this today, he calls this the sword. So when we prepare for spiritual battle, we need to learn how to be using our sword. So if you have your physical Bible today, could you please get it out? Okay, we're going to do a sword drill. And the rules to a sword drill, you need to hold it by the spine above your head. And I'm going to say a passage, okay? And then all of you are going to repeat that passage to me, but you're not going to go and try and find that passage until I say charge. And then once you find that passage, you need to stand up and you need to read it aloud, okay? And you don't have a microphone, so make sure you read it nice and loud. Okay, so here we go. Everyone ready? Jeremiah 1.5. Oh, oh, oh. Bible's up, Bible's up. Okay, remember, I say the passage, then you repeat the passage. Jeremiah 1.5. Charge. Okay, who's going to get there first? Hopefully a student can get there. Make me proud. Make me look good. Maybe we'll see. Read it aloud. Awesome. Good job. So, yeah, let's... Okay. Good job. Nice round of applause. So, good job, Julie. And we want to be practicing and learning your Bible and getting to the point to where you can... And why we do this with our students is so they can learn how to find verses in the Bible. So when another question we ask a lot is if we want to get them to ask, where's that in the Bible? So when we say something profound or something that is a truth claim, we need to be comparing that next to Scripture. So if someone says something like, oh, I think this, well, where's that in the Bible? We want to be taking everything that we know and every piece of truth and comparing that description. So this morning, I'm continuing on in our series, uh, So That You May Believe in John 15. Okay, so I know some of you are like, hold on, we're not in John 15, and you're right, I'm just kidding. I'm not continuing on in this series, but we are, uh, we are in John 15 today. So here, let me just pray one more time before we jump into our text. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray today that uh, I will hide behind your cross, and people won't see or hear me up here speaking, but they'll hear your word being uh, spoken to them. You know where everyone's heart's at is, Lord, and I pray that you will just shed a light onto their heart and draw them close to you. In your name, amen. So as you're turning to John 15, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background, since Pastor Paul hasn't quite gotten us there yet. Uh, In this passage, uh, it shows that Jesus is teaching his disciples in the upper room, the night before Jesus was crucified on the cross. And in the structure of the book of John, the first half 
is Jesus's outward ministry to everyone. We see John's gospel shows Jesus's ministry to everyone. And then in the second half of John's gospel, it switches to where it's, John, it's Jesus's ministry just to his disciples. It's him ministering directly to the 12 disciples. And then the portion we're looking at today is uh, Jesus speaking directly to his disciples the night before he was crucified. And in this passage, it is Jesus' warning to his disciples. And that is why Jesus is very pointed in his teachings. He's getting right to the point. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for their present and their future ministry. Jesus is instructing and preparing his disciples for the hard truth that there will be those who not only reject the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but those same people will come to hate those who come bearing that message. This passage shows us a glimpse of the relationship between the Father, of the, son, the Father and the Son. But we're faced with the question, what does this mean for us as Christians? What does this mean for us as Christians today? So the question we're answering is, how do we as Christians live in a world that hates us? So I want us to be thinking about that, is how do we as Christians live in a world that hates us. So, to answer this question, let's look at John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus starts off this in this passage, Jesus is saying, if the world hates you. Jesus is taking away the surprise factor Jesus is telling his disciples that there is a chance that the world will come to hate them. And we, being several thousand years after and have all of scripture and know the history, we indeed know that the world will come to hate the disciples. We know that there are those in the world that, who will indeed hate the disciples because of the message they bring. Jesus encourages the disciples to not be worried because they are not the first to be hated by the world. Jesus reminds his disciples that he was hated before the world hated them. Jesus is telling his disciples that there are those that will reject them, and they will come to hate them. The disciples are being warned that they will face opposition to the message they bring. Let's continue on to verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Okay, so this is a hard truth that I want you to understand. The world will come to love you if you are against Jesus. So if you reject Jesus... The world will love you. The world hates Jesus. And one reason that the world hates Jesus is because Jesus is king. In the world, they want themselves to be king. They're like, I don't need a king. I am the king of my own life. Man wants to be king for their own life. There's a common misconception that a lot here that I just want to address and make sure that we you, all of, all of you, and warning you about, so you aren't falling into this. And 
that misconception is that we, as Christians, need to compromise the truth found in the Bible out of a love for people. Okay, so that is not true. When people say we need to show people love compared to what is taught in Scripture, that's not true. We are hurting them and not loving them. In the past two to three years, we have seen a cultural shift where the traditional family and many biblical morals are attacked on a daily basis. We as the church need to stand firm in Scripture. We need to be discipled by one another, leaning into Scripture. This is what, what God commands the people of Israel to do in Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. They are to raise up their children to know God. As parents, we, as parents, you all need to come alongside your children and teach them the truth and what the Bible teaches about what it means to be a man or a woman made in God's image. And as the church, this isn't just us to leave and let the parents and families do. No, we as the church need to come alongside parents. We all need to be raising up the children here in our church what it means to be a man or a woman that's made in God's image. We also need to teach our children what the Bible teaches about sin. We can't shy away, and we don't want to pull back our punches on what the Bible teaches about sin. That sin equals death. That the kids, our kids that we have in our kids' ministry, that their sin will lead to death. Parents, we cannot rely on bringing your children to church one time per week to be enough Jesus for your kids. When your children go to school, they are welcomed with open arms by people from the world. If you don't disciple your children to love Jesus, the world will disciple your children to grow to hate him. The world is not hiding that they are coming for your children. The world is actively coming for your kids through social media, through their teachers at school coming for them, and then social justice clubs. The world is coming for your children. Your children are being loved by the world. Okay, so read with me that first part of verse 19 again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world longs to love everyone because that means that they will not follow Christ. They won't believe in Christ as their king. We as the church need to teach our children, we need to come alongside parents and families to be teaching our children the scriptures, teaching them to love Jesus so that they can stand true to the Bible when the world comes to love them. We want our children to know that they are made in the image of God, that God has made each and every single person exactly who they were meant to be, that we do not need to change our appearance, our personality, or our gender to please anyone, that we were made exactly who God intended us to be. We were born sinners. And if we do not repent of our sins and profess that Jesus is Lord, that his death on the cross paid for our sins and has raised, raised again, that he was raised again on the third day, if we do not accept this gospel truth, then we'll spend eternity in hell. And we need to teach and train our children up and warn them against what's happening. 
we need to prepare ourselves and our children with the gospel truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need to recognize the reality that there are those who want to see us and who are actively trying to persuade us to reject Christ as our Lord and Savior. A big part of preparing your children, your students to love Jesus is bringing them to church. So parents, I don't want you to hear me. I'm harping on you. I want to encourage you. Good job getting your family, getting your kids here to church today. It's not easy. On this note, one professor from uh, Moody Bible Institute, he described the student's time in college as boot camp. That it wasn't just that our time there was training us for the mission field wherever, wherever we were being sent out. And the same goes for you with your children. Statistically speaking, the time that your kids are at home with you is only a fraction of their life. We as the church need to be coming alongside of you and your families and preparing your children to go to war. It is a spiritual battle out there. A big part of this is attending church on Sunday morning regularly with your family. As parents and as the church, we need to demonstrate to our children what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Jesus is preparing his disciples for this same task. Jesus is only with his disciples for three years or so. And in John 15, Jesus is preparing his disciples to go into spiritual warfare. In Ephesians 6, 13 through 18, uh, it tells us, the Apostle Paul is telling us um, how to put on the armor of God. Okay, let me read Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And if we look at what is happening in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, we see that Paul is not just writing to the adult men in the church. He's not just writing to the adult men and women in the church. Paul is writing to the families that are sitting there in the church. Paul is instructing us as the church to raise up your family, babies all the way up to the young at heart, to be wearing the armor of God. Okay, now we're going to look back to John 15, the second half of verse 19. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Okay, so we've been chosen out of the world. We need to prepare. We need to be putting on the armor of God to prepare us to face the world. Christ chose the disciples to follow him and have a relationship with him. Christ is preparing them to take the gospel message out to the world. When the disciples take the gospel message out to the world, they will be faced 
with people who reject that gospel message. Christ is warning the people that there's going to be those that oppose them. We also see this parallel in Jeremiah 1, 5. Okay? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was formed in the womb, God knew him and appointed him to be a prophet for God. God had chosen Jeremiah before he was conceived in his mother's womb. He was chosen out of all the people of Israel to be a prophet for God. The disciples were chosen out of all the people of Israel to be disciples and to follow Christ and to take his teachings out into the world. The task that the disciples are being given and the task that the prophet Jeremiah is given also share in another similarity. Both Jeremiah the prophet and the disciples will face rejection. If we jump down to Jeremiah one nineteen, it says, They, and they meaning Israel, will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. The prophet and the Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah and the disciples are both given the task of taking a message from the Lord to a people who will reject that message. And those people will come to hate them because of it. Jeremiah was told that Israel would fight against the message God gave him to deliver Israel. The disciples are being told that people will come to hate them because of the message they are bringing. They are both tasked with still taking the message of God to a people that will come to reject what they have to say. Okay, so I'm sure all of us have encountered one point when we've had to do something. Whether when we're growing up, we've been told, hey, you need to go and clean your room. Okay, I'm taking the approach as a kid. But if, you know, imagine with me, when you were, when you were a kid and your parent tells you to go and clean your room. Okay, now imagine, and I'm sure some kids have made this argument, that however hard they tried, their room was fighting against them and not letting them clean their room. Okay, imagine going into a task knowing that you're going to fail. doesn't matter how hard I try, my room is going to fight against me and not let me clean it. Okay, now that's what Jeremiah and the disciples are being told. But not to go clean the room, but to go and share the gospel with people. But they're being told, you're going to fail. People are going to reject what you have to say. They're going to reject you, they're going to fight back against you, and they're going to hate you because of it. We're being set into a task that we know we're going to struggle and we're going to fail. Both the disciples and Jeremiah were chosen by God to come and have a relationship with him and carry a message that is from the Lord that will face rejection. We, as Christians, we share that same task. We also have been given the task to go and share the gospel with people, and we know because of John 15, that there will be those who reject our message. There will be people that come to hate you because of the message you're bringing about Christ. Let's continue on to verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is asking the disciples to remember what he had said to them back in John 13, where Jesus explains to his disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. If persecution comes against the master, then the servant should also expect persecution to come against the servant. The same goes for if someone hates the master, they will also hate the servant. And Jesus is telling his disciples that if he is persecuted, which Christ is persecuted, so will be the disciples. Just as Jesus faced opposition, so will the disciples. The same men who persecute Christ will come to persecute the disciples. The same goes the other way, though. Those who accepted Jesus will accept the disciples. And those who love Jesus will come to love the disciples. Jesus' wording here is, those who kept my word will also keep yours. Those that listen to Jesus' words will also listen to the disciples' word. This will be very prevalent to the disciples in the coming weeks and months as they teach about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Those who accepted Jesus and his words will accept what the disciples have to say about Christ and what they are bring, the message they are bringing. Just as the disciples and we are followers of Christ, we are servants of Christ. Okay, so let's look at verses 21 through 23. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. The persecution that comes on the disciples will be done in the name of Jesus. The people persecuting the disciples do not realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that the Father sent Jesus to humanity to humanity so that Christ could restore a relationship with God the Father. The sin that Jesus is saying they are guilty of is the sin uh, as sorry, the sin of rejecting Christ as their savior. If Jesus had not come to them and spoken to them, the people would not have an excuse that they did not who the that they did not know who the Messiah was. Jesus coming and revealing himself to them was giving them every opportunity to believe in him as their savior and to believe in him that yeah, to believe in him as their as the Messiah. The one send the one sin that will send one to hell is rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. If you do not come to recognize Jesus as the one true Savior, you will not get into heaven. By rejecting Jesus as your Savior who died for your sins, there is no other way to heaven but through Christ. I'm just going to get a drink of water. Verse 23 is an important one. It says, whoever hates me hates my father also. Just as Jesus told his disciples, they will be hated because the people hate the one who sent them. 
Those who hate Jesus also hate the Father. Early in John's Gospel, there's a be- we see, and we will see as we continue studying through the book of John with Pastor Paul, we'll see the beautiful but complex relationship that is shared between the Father and the Son. The Father gives the Son all that he has. And in response, the Son, the son shows the Father complete obedience, even to death on the cross. Here, we, here in John 15, we see the perfect picture of love between the Father and the Son, and the repercussions of those who are opposing God, the Trinity. It is impossible to love the Father and not love the Son. It is impossible to love the Son and not love the Father. Just to make this clear, the Father is not the Son, just as the Son is not the Father, but both are truly God. One cannot reject one part of God and claim to love God still. If someone rejects the Son, they are also rejecting the Father. It is through the Son that we are able to have a relationship with the Father. So when someone comes and they reject the Son, they are actually indeed rejecting the Father. Okay, does that make sense? Did a lot of talking about the Son and the Father. Let's continue on to verses 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Here Jesus is reinforcing that those who have rejected Jesus hate both Jesus and the Father. The people have rejected Christ, and they have rejected the Father. And this is because their hearts were already set on destruction. Those who have rejected Christ have rejected the Father. So what does this mean for us? That there are those that reject Christ, they also reject the Father. What does this mean for Christians today? How do we as Christians live in a world that hates us? We know that there will be people that reject Jesus as their Savior. Okay, we know that. How do we prepare for that? How are we supposed to live as Christians in a world that hates us? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave this task to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. And we have been given that same task. That task to go and make disciples. We must go forth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. We've been assigned the same task as Jesus' disciples. John fifteen eighteen through 25, just as it was a warning to the disciples, it is a warning to us. There will be those of the world who come to hate us because of the message we bring. This means that we 
need to lean even more into Christ. We need to guard ourselves. We need to take up the armor of God, prepare ourselves to face opposition. Jesus is telling us that we will face opposition. It's no secret. He's not trying to hide that, oh no, there's going to be some struggle. He's telling us straight up, we're going to face opposition. We are living in a world that is not meant for us. We are living on an earth where Satan has power over the people. We live among people who will accept us if we are of the world. And if we are of Christ, those same people will come to reject and hate us just as they have rejected Christ. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In Luke's gospel, we are told to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. Luke is also, he emphasizes that this is not a one-time thing. We don't just say a prayer once and then we can start living a life for Christ. But we need to be doing this daily. We need to be taking up our cross, giving up our life, and going to him daily. Waking up and seeking Christ. So often when life gets busy, our time with Jesus and our time in the word is the first thing to go. I know this in my own life. When things get busy, I realize, oh man, I... I've neglected to read my Bible. But we need to practice. We need to take up our cross daily and keep seeking the Lord. So when hard times come, we're still standing firm in Scripture. And this is something that we as families, parents, and us as the church need to come alongside and train up our children. We need to demonstrate what it looks like to live a life that you are seeking Christ every single day taking up our cross daily, what does that look like? It looks like seeking Christ through reading our Bibles and praying to him and giving up our sins and struggles to him on a daily basis. This is not an easy path. And one thing that Bentry has is one of the resources we have is the discipleship pathway. We've mapped out what does it look like to grow in your walk with the Lord. And if we use this tool, we can identify where we're at in our walk with Christ, so then we can figure out what's the next step. How can I grow in my walk with Christ so then I can demonstrate to my children and help my church grow in their walk with Christ? We need to give up the habits that are continually leading us to sin. If we know that if we, if we do A and B, it will always lead us to C, we probably should stop doing A and B. And replace those habits with good habits. By strengthening our relationship with God, we will better react when hard things come about. When you as an individual are deeply rooted in Scripture, you will better withstand the storms and the trials that will come about. When you as an individual are deeply rooted in Scripture, that will help your family to be strengthened and better rooted in Scripture. When your family is deeply rooted in Scripture, your church body will be better rooted in Scripture. The kingdom of God will flourish when our church body of Bentry Church is deeply rooted in Scripture. Growing in our relationship with God is a cause and effect that will help strengthen yourself, your family, and your church. The same goes the other way, though. When your relationship with God is suffering, your relationship with your family and your church will suffer. 
In John 15, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the hard fact that they will be hated by some people in the world. Everyone who is not a Christ follower will hate Jesus and all that follow him. We need to be preparing ourselves, our families, our church for battle. We're facing a spiritual battle. We need to take on the whole armor of God so that when trials and persecution come, and we are forced to take a stand on our belief that Jesus Christ is our Messiah, that he is our King, our Savior, and that his death on the cross paid for our sins, and he rose on the third day, we need to be able to stand firm in that truth, in the gospel truth, and stand firm in Scripture, affirming that we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. When the world comes to hate us, we need to learn, we need to lean into Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and just your, your message that you've sent to all of us and this warning that you're giving us that we will come to be hated, that we'll face opposition. I pray that you will, that you will uh, just put the weight on everyone's hearts here, Lord, that they need to be seeking you every day, that they need to take up their cross daily and seek you, growing in their love for you and learning the scriptures and putting on the armor of God so that when hard times come, they can stand firm. When things get busy, they're staying true to your word and not compromising your truth for anything, Lord. I pray you'll guide us and your scripture will be a light unto our path I pray we'll learn to wake up every morning and seek you and I pray that you'll lead us uh, in the task that you've given us as we go about into a world that hates us thank you Lord and in your name amen thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.